0: with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for everyone here this morning. I pray that as we consider this important topic, that we would uh, really reflect, reflect on it and to think about not just what it is, but what that means to us today. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would use me as your mouthpiece, help me to refrain from uh, vain speculation, uh, but also uh, to be careful to exegete the passages and to apply them to us today. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As I reflected on the, uh, what Carl will say, what do you want to do for your J-term? I usually have a, a list of J-term things over time. I'll just start collecting ideas and decide whether to expand on them or not. <clears throat> and this one was a little bit more last minute where I started thinking, well, let's." I I'd, I'd started thinking of these other topics and I thought a lot of these are sort of like you heard this morning, it's like you got to do this and you need to be thinking about that, and I thought maybe we need something a little bit lighter, something a little bit more, um, you know, just encouraging, something that would be, uh, something that would encourage you as we go through the the times that we're going through, as we're uh, reflecting on uh, our lives and uh, what is our motivation for getting up in the morning. Uh, And too often I think that we uh, forget and don't think about this issue of heaven, and I thought, well, this might be a good time to take a few weeks, it's just three weeks long, to reflect on what heaven is. Obviously, we're going to have to consider what is speculative and what is not. And I will tell you right up front, there are going to be questions that will not be answered. I can, I can tell you questions that I can't answer. And so um, I won't mess you up with those, but uh, uh, hopefully what you'll walk away with is a more accurate understanding and hopefully something to reflect on to encourage you during your your walk with Christ. You'll notice in the introduction there I have a quote from J.C. Ryle where he says, the man who is about to sail for Australia or New Zealand as a settler is naturally anxious to know something about his future home, its climate, its employments, its inhabitants, its ways, its customs. All these are subjects of deep deep interest to him. You are leaving the land of your nativity and you're going to spend the rest of your life in a new hemisphere. It would be strange indeed if you did not desire information about your new abode. Now, Surely if we hope to dwell forever in that better country, even a heavenly one, we ought to seek all the knowledge we can about it. Before we go to our external home, we should try to become acquainted with it. Uh, He said in another location, I pity the man who never thinks of heaven. Well, the problem with it is that uh, this is a, uh, it's a difficult subject because we don't know a lot about heaven, and it's so easy to speculate. Uh, I do know there's people that will say you've probably heard the expression uh, also that he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. <clears throat> but I think I want to uh, reverse that <clears throat> and say if as a Christian, if you're not heavenly minded, then you're probably not earthly good. If all you're thinking about is earthly improvements and not thinking about what is the destination, what is the goal, for all of this, and I think that that's a mistake. That's why C.S. Lewis said, Aim at heaven and earth is thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. Interesting thought, isn't it? Uh, so, as Christians, do we have a very clear understanding on what heaven is? Again, it's going to be difficult. There are a lot of silly theories regarding heaven, and there's a lot of jokes about it. Of course, there's the what the, the about going to play golf. I'm I'm looking forward to playing golf for eternity. You have a, a lot of the near-death experiences. Have you read those? Uh, someone asked if I was going to tell about my near-death experience, but I haven't had one. Uh, so if it does happen, who did had a near-death experience, and <clears throat> his last name was Malarkey. And I thought, <laughs> if that doesn't tell you something, it, all these people are like, tell us about heaven. And his name is Malarkey. Uh, think about that. Uh, but there's a lot of them, and, and it's interesting, you can find Hindu ones, and you can find, you, we're so used to hearing just the Christian ones, like, oh, I saw the bright light. And uh, Well, Hindus have their versions of that, and so do other religions. Uh, so is that some definite sign that there's something after that? I don't think so. <clears throat> so we want to stay stick with scripture. <clears throat> we have some that think that heaven is just one long church service. And if you're not uh, maybe older and you've become accompanied or you're used to church and you love church, you're a younger person, you're like, well, oh, how long is he going to preach? Or, you know, these songs are old. I, you know, I, I'm used to, you know, this other kind of music today and this stuff is an organ and it's all. And it's like, that heaven's that? Is that something that you look forward to? I mean, actually ask yourself now. Uh, with what you know of heaven, are you looking forward to it? Now, some of you will say, yeah. Others are going to say, well, realistically, not really. Uh, I kind of like what I got here. I mean, I know there's problems. I mean, let's think about it. We're in the United States, wealthiest country in history. Uh, We have more stuff at our fingertips. I'm guessing most of you are full or will be at lunch. Uh, We got it pretty good. So when somebody says, how would you go to this place where you're going to be in church all day, you know, for eternity? You go, well, I don't know. I kind of like it. I'm thinking about going to the mountains this weekend, and that doesn't seem to sync up with that. So, uh, we want to address that. Gary Larson, if you remember the Far Side cartoon, <clears throat> has one of them. He's got great stuff, but it's a guy who's now in heaven, and apparently he's got wings, and uh, he's he's sitting on a cloud, and underneath it he says, uh, I wish I had brought a magazine. Uh, because that's the picture, is how can it not but be boring? I know it's going to be new, sure. It's going to be new, and we see all this stuff, but after a while, I mean, isn't the newest stuff that you come encounter, doesn't it eventually get boring? You say, oh, I just love going to this place, but then eventually it's like, okay, I've, you know, I'm in the mountains now, I'm in my cabin, it's great, but uh, whew, you know, what do you want to do? Let's go into town. Let's go, and eventually it starts to become, how is, it, but heaven's promising that will never be the case. You will never be bored. Well, I can't relate to that, because at some point, you know, I, I know we can be busy and everything, but in any event, we have a lot of silliness, a lot of different uh, presentations about heaven <coughs> that can distract us or give us a lesser notion of it. And so today, just today, I want to look at two things. I want to look at a couple pagan ideas uh, on what heaven is, uh, some, some alternative theories, <coughs> but then also some prolegomena, to a setup for us in understanding heaven. And then uh, over the next two weeks, Lord willing, I've alliterated almost all this with P. The letter P is a great one to alliterate with if you ever need to know that. M is another one, and C is another. Just just little little hints. Um, But almost all of mine are P's, but you'll see those coming up. And I think I have about, uh, we'll also look at the application, Lord willing, the options. Just again, sort of push those out of the way so that we get to a more accurate one. Two things I want to keep in mind as we consider uh, pagan options. One is, God has set eternity in their heart. And Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out uh, the work that God does from beginning to end. So he says that everybody in the image of God has a certain sense of there's something beyond this. There's, it, it's not just going to stop uh, when I die. We'll talk about that more in a second. The second thing we keep in mind as we consider some of the pagan alternatives Uh, is the fact that we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So that when we think of pagan options, we're saying there's eternity in their heart, but they're not going to take the biblical one because that means ultimately that includes judgment and accountability. We don't want that. So we want to provide some alternative theory uh, to account for this sense of uh, eternity in my heart. And so what would that look like? And so (coughs) I call that the sort of bottom-up approach. Instead of taking God's revelation top-down, and saying, what does he tell us? It's saying, well, I'm going to ignore that, and I'm just going to work from the bottom up. I'll start with my own theories, my own observations, and I'll generalize from that. With that in mind, you can assume that non-Christians are going to come up with various alternatives on the issue of truth. Let me look at two of these. The first one that I'm going to call nominal Christianity, you might say, well, that's kind of rough to put it under paganism, but in a sense, really it is, right? Nominal Christianity means in name only, so it's Not a Christian. It's named Christian, but it's not really Christian in its uh, essence. And so let's look at that one. Nominal Christianity uh, is probably best understood when we think of passages such as Revelation 22, uh, verses 18 and 19. John writes, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy. God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So the two things that people will do, uh, when they, if they're going to try to start with the Bible, say, I believe in the Bible, but then they will either cull it and say, well, here's the parts that I like, and then I'm going to believe that, or they add to it. I think of typically uh, the cults are those that say, we believe the Bible plus, and then they'll add more information, which is going to contradict existing scriptures, uh, nonetheless they will pursue that. And a few of the different versions of this, first is the universalism. You all maybe have heard of the the author Rob Bell, uh, who uh, believes he's written a book called Love Wins. There's another author that I've enjoyed, David Bentley Hart. Uh, Both of them, Rob Bell originally came out with this idea of universalism, and then David Bentley Hart, uh, he's more of an Eastern Orthodox guy, but he's recently come out with the idea of universalism. Uh, so they're taking the scriptures and they're going to rewrite them a little bit because uh, they don't like this idea of anybody going to hell. I actually thought about my next J term maybe being on hell. Uh, as the two, That would be a little bit more negative, but uh, there's a positive side to that. You're thinking, I'm not going there, Lord willing, <laughs> um, if I trust in Him. <clears throat> but I think the, the two might be helpful to, to reflect on. In any event, uh, these are the ideas that, of course, that everybody is going to go to heaven. That, uh, Lord, there's many paths up the mountain, and maybe you didn't take the right one, but God's going to forgive you in the end. Jesus covers it all, Then uh, everybody's going to go to heaven. And that's the long-term view, is that everybody ends up in this place about heaven. And again, that's, I don't want to spend much time on that. Annihilationism is the the view that says, well, I see that the Bible does say that there are some people going to heaven, but this idea of hell, is that's not, not very... Uh, I don't like that. doesn't seem very loving. Uh, it's one thing to be punished. It's another to be punished for eternity. That is a heavy thought. If you stop and reflect on eternity in hell, that's what I've told people before. I mean, could you, if I said, would you be willing to, to die if, if everybody in the world could go to heaven, if you go to hell, would you do it? And honestly, I, I could not answer that question, yes. I don't think sorry. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> uh, I don't I could. That'd be hard, wouldn't it? You think about it now. What if it was a million years? Like, well, you know, maybe a million years. I could do it. Eternity—that's a pretty heavy notion. In any event, uh, so there are those who will create this theory that uh, heaven is just going to be for Christians, but there is no hell. Uh, they, those people who die, will just their souls will be annihilated, and that will be over. Uh, there's also the folk Christianity view of this. Uh, you can imagine the the different, this is kind of the golf theory, or I'm really looking forward to spending, and it's like no reference to Christ, no reference to worship, no reference to praise. It's more about just earthly stuff that you get to do up there. <clears throat> I was thinking of a uh, country music song, uh, no offense to Hank Williams, but uh, in his song here, I can't remember the name of it, You'll you'll recognize it, but he says, if heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go. Um, if heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I'd just as soon stay home. I was one of the chosen few born to be born in Alabama. I'm just like my daddy's son. I'm proud of who I am. I went through a lot of good women. <laughs> <coughs> you see the folksy part of this here? Uh, I shook old Jim Beam's hand. It'd be a, this is your good you know, folk Christian, um, if I never see the pearly gates, I've walked through the promised land. I've already done it. I've been to Dixie. Um, if heaven ain't a lot he goes down and says it again. If they don't have a grand old Opry like they do in Tennessee, just send me to hell or New York City. It's all the same to me. <laughs> <coughs> uh, that idea you know, that's promulgated in the folk Christianity, which is you know, heaven is just a place where you're going to hang out and do the stuff, stuff that you like. You're going to go swimming. You're going to hang out with your friends and going to do that for eternity, that is a a false notion, and uh, frankly, I'm not, for many people, that's not even that appealing. Uh, So uh, what is it? Again, we're going to get into that, uh, Lord willing, more specifically next week, but uh, the fourth one I have here is the cults, and again, I'm not going to go into details. You can think of Islam, Jehovah's Witness, for example, that will say that there's 144,000 will be in the real heaven. Uh, You have other ones like Heaven's Gates. You remember Heaven's Gates? Uh, some of you who are my age will remember that, Heaven's Gates, where they all committed suicide because they wanted to get on a spaceship. Uh, it was a combination of millennialism, New Age thinking, and UFOology all brought together, uh, saying if we all uh, drink the Kool-Aid in this case, uh, not the Jim Jones version, but they all died thinking that their souls were going to meet on a spaceship that was going to take them on to a new millennium. I mean, there's a lot of just bizarre ideas about what eternity is going to look like Uh, But we want to uh, stay away from those. Another one, a secular, on the secular, more secular side, I have an article here, and I'm not going to uh, read it. I'll just mention it. This is more about the end of the world more so than heaven. Fourteen terrifying end-of-the-world theories explained. Uh, So, again, remember I told you earlier that people speculate. What's going to happen? I'm not going to take the revelation of God and be happy with that, Instead, I'm going to come up with some alternative, usually one that doesn't require their humility, uh, doesn't require repentance. It's something that's just going to reward them for being a good person. Uh, but uh, there are theories out there about what's going to happen at the end of the world. But really, I'm not so much interested in this series on what's going to happen to the planet, although we'll get into that, <coughs> as what's going to happen with the people. Uh, so, but on some of the secular versions, you have those that, for example, think that your consciousness will end at death. And that really is the big question, isn't it? When you die, what's the next thing? Is your, are you done? I went to uh, lunch with a gentleman. You would know the name. It's the name of a uh, corporation that's multinational, multi-billion dollar company. You'd know the name of the guy. And I went to lunch with him one time. I've told the story I think once before a year or two, but um, I said, so and I would use it as an opportunity to witness. And so we're talking, and I said, so what do you think is going to happen to you when you die? And he said, um, uh, my, I'll, I'll live on through my children. I said, that's it? You think, like, in terms of your personal awareness, self-consciousness, that's done? And he says, yeah, that's it. And my kids will be the name that carries on, and that's going to be the end of it. And I thought, wow, that's a scary thought. Uh, and, and would that not have some impact on how you live today? That's why it's interesting to me. I talked to somebody the other day about utilitarianism. And uh, he was arguing for, you know, what brings the greatest happiness to the greatest number of people. And you think about that. I think that's a very common thought, right? And I said, oh, I, I agree with that. And so I'm a utilitarian. I think that everybody should repent and go to heaven. That's the greatest amount of happiness. Well, no, that's not, I'm talking about this side because we don't know what's happening on other side. So what happens on their side has every implication for how you live now. So utilitarianism doesn't answer the question. It just pushes it off in any event. Uh, You have others that take the transhumanism version. Uh, I think of the Elon Musk and others who believe that they're going to download their brain into a computer. Uh, What's that going to look like? And this one is going to be a man-made way of perpetuating their consciousness and their life beyond the grave. Uh, Again, wishful thinking in that sense, in that version. Uh, Then there's also the utopian versions. Uh, This is a quote from a guy who wrote a book on utopianism. He said... Uh, There are socialist, capitalist, monarchical, democratic, anarchist, ecological, feminist, patriarchal, egalitarian, hierarchical, racist, left-wing, right-wing, reformist, free love, nuclear family, extended family, gay, lesbian, and many more utopias. So if you think, well, some people believe in utopia. Well, there's not just some people. There's all kinds of versions of utopia. And what is that? Well, of course, the word actually means no place, right? It's, uh, which is kind of the the play on words there, Uh, but... It's the idea that somehow humanity is going to reach this place where we're going to keep building together and we're going to reach this place. I think of it like Star Trek. If you ever watch Star Trek, uh, only, the only one really worth watching was The Next Generation, but that's a prejudice on my part. Uh, but in that one, it's, you know, they're out in space and they're cruising around and they're describing on Earth. Everybody's happy and they're pursuing their in- intellectual interests and things like that. And I thought, you know, if you think about that a little bit, and say, so who built your ship? Because uh, I think most people would say, I'm not building a ship for people to drive around <laughs> space. I'm going to go play golf. So I thought, who's on earth building your ships for you? Uh, it doesn't work. Uh, but this idea is we want to have this idea of a a place where it's, it's going to be like the John Lennon Imagine. You know, imagine all the people. Uh, this kind of picture um, that's, that's created by men to try to give us a good feeling about ourselves. Uh, but again, it's not according to the truth, the word of God. Uh, we can look at also not just the ones that are utopian. You can look at the dystopian. Uh, you think of The Hunger Games, Matrix, and other movies that, that suggest the road warrior. Uh, these movies that say that everything's just going to go to hell in a handbasket, if I can use that expression. It's going to go. Just going to be terrible, and people are just going to be trying to survive the nuclear winter that happens uh, at the end of time. Well, if all of these uh, again are, are are distortions of what um, the end times not not the end times. I don't want to put it that way. If, what heaven, ultimate reality, looks like. Uh, we need to go to scripture and see what it says. <clears throat> it is interesting to me, though. You have. You tend to have people that are utopian and you have people that are dystopian. It is interesting to me that Christianity has a certain sense of both in that. You have the positive side of heaven looks wonderful, but the hell part of it, again, I say not negative in the terms of this is God's will for those that will be glorifying to the Lord, but a very difficult doctrine to deal with is the recognition that people will be there. Again, now we're going to see that through God's eyes, and in a sense, uh, with a greater understanding of that, just, but just at the, uh, just from a human standpoint, looking at it, it's like, wow, that's a, that's a very dystopian kind of place that, that people will be in for eternity. So uh, we don't just go to one or the other. We see that the future is going to have <clears throat> both a heaven and a hell to it. Uh, the scripture t- tells us a lot about uh, what will happen but I want to take the rest of the time this morning, and I just want to look at um, what the Bible says about heaven. But to do that, I think what I want—well, not I think uh, what I want to do this morning is—is is set it up. So rather than just jump over to heaven and say, "Well, here's what the Bible says: pearly gates and things like that," <clears throat> I think it's helpful. And I'll, maybe I'll say it's helpful for me uh, because growing up, uh, when when people are talking about heaven, my mind would just go right to some spiritual place out in outer space. Or in another dimension, where you're just kind of hanging out, and that's that's what I thought heaven was, <clears throat> and I think there's a lot of residual in that in me. Maybe that's not the case with you, because you're all reformed and you didn't have that kind of background. But it, it's not something that I go waps or some kind of weird ethereal physical thing uh, in a place where it just it's lots of clouds and sun and things like that. But um, I think to, to dispel us of that kind of notion, we have to go back, and I think to really understand heaven, you have to go back to the very beginning of Scripture and say, okay, let me build from there and see what the Scripture says, because actually that gives us a much better understanding of what heaven looks like. And we go back to Genesis 1, we see that there is the creation. We see that God has taken the cosmos, he had, had chaos, was without form and order, and God brought order to it. And so we see in a universal kind of st- extent, or in terms of, uh, uh, well, say universally, that God created the world that didn't have form and order, and then he brought this order to it. And we understand that God inhabits the, all of uh, the universes. Um, uh, God is infinite, he's eternal, and so there's no place where God is not. Uh, and yet we do see that there are places where, it's described where God's presence is more specially felt. And we're going to take that idea and we're going to uh, run with that a little bit more. There are places where his presence is more acute, more manifest. And typically we describe that as, in the general sense, we think heaven is a place where God is going to be most clearly experienced. For example, not just in heaven, but we think of the, the place of Eden as a place of God's special presence. The way we I mean, think of Adam walking with God in the cool of the evening. It describes that God's personal presence was there in a sense uh, that seemed different than the rest of the universe. Uh, we can see it. it this is going to evolve in Scripture as we go from not just the universe, then down locally to Eden. That's going to grow then to the tabernacle and to the uh, temple, and then we're going to see it go beyond that. Uh, so we see that the whole universe, in a sense, is God's temple. And yet he's specially present, like in the Holy of Holies, we see a special presence of God uh, as we go through the Scripture and we see this develop. Uh, It's it's a kind of home where God is. And God made, when he made the earth, he uh, he made us, and he made us in his image, and now we are the image bearers of God in his temple. And particularly when we think of Eden, we think of the place God put us in his temple, and he said, what I started in terms of the, the order of things, I want you to take that and to uh, continue that process. So we get to the creation mandates, and I'll explain this more as we go along. Uh, in Genesis 1, 28, we read, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Uh, I think we have lost the creation mandates. Um, I think in the, 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 the Christian world, uh, in broad evangelicalism, and perhaps even in Reformed theology, the, the creation mandates have been neglected. Uh, we have young men growing up, and you say, so what are your plans? Oh, I don't know, I might, you know, I might get married. I'm not really sure. I'll probably travel. and I think. Well, you know that the creation mandates to marry, multiply, have dominion, those, those were not abrogated. You understand that. And I think for many of them, it's like, well, I just never really thought about it. I said, Do you have a purpose for being here? Uh, that you, know, you look back and say, well, that's Old Testament stuff. That doesn't really apply to it. Well, it does apply. That was not abrogated. We still have that job to marry, to multiply, to have children, to have dominion, to worship, and to work, and to rest. <clears throat> All of those are still part of the mandate. <clears throat> so man is called then. Uh, that mandate, again, further, more information on that, Genesis 2, 7, and 8, we read, The Lord formed man in the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put a man whom he had formed. And he, he gives him the instructions to marry, multiply, have dominion. So he's saying, I want you to take this, you know, enjoy the fruit and do nothing. He says, I started something I want you to finish. And you say, well, I can't do it by myself. And he says, Hence, the Mary and have children. <laughs> Multiply. You're going to need people. You're going to need multiple generations to carry on the task to, to move this garden from this local place of Eden and expand it around the world. Now, that's going to play into our doctrine of heaven. Uh, that's going to be important because we're going to see that heaven is not some ethereal place out there. It's going to be here. Uh, I think one person put it this way. He says, I think many of us will be surprised not how different heaven is, but how similar it is. That was an interesting thought, provocative. Uh, anyway, we'll talk more about that, as I said, in a couple weeks. But we see then, man is called to turn all the world into an Eden, to expand the garden, and to the, the, the special presence of God is now to be moved around the earth, uh, where God is uh, especially present throughout the earth. <coughs> and But before that, really got underway, so there was a, uh, a problem, and that's the fall. If you look at your notes there, we see that the three things are really the, the creation, the fall, and then redemption. Creation, fall, redemption are, the uh, I think, the initials I gave there. The creation, God started us for a, a purpose and a reason, and we're to continue that, but we have the fall. and Now, what happens then? Uh, did this destroy God's original plan? Where he says, okay, well, that didn't work out. They messed up, and now they fall. Now I've got to redeem them, and I'll bring them to heaven, and we're all done. Or do we understand that the, the process that we're in right now, our purpose is now to go back and understanding redemption and say, okay, now we've got to pick up where we left off, and then we've got to continue the process that was begun. That's going to be my argument. <clears throat> uh, we are still then called to make the world into the temple of God. Again, as I said, this plays in our doctrine of heaven. Let me read, there's an uh, article by G.K. Beale, uh, super solid. He writes a book about this thick every year. It's it's scary just how bright the guy is. Plus, he's a nice guy. Uh, he's been here, he's visited here before, uh, not in this area. But uh, he described, there's an abstract on a, an essay he wrote. Uh, the essay is called G.K. Beale, an Unexpected Universalization of the Old Testament Land Promises. Think about that. The, old te- or the expected universalization of the Old Testament land promises. The idea that we, are, we think about the Jews saying, you're given land, there's a promised land, you're going to go to the land. And he says, but it doesn't stop there. The picture isn't just, everybody's trying to cram into Israel. He's saying the picture is that the, the, the land of Israel, the place of God's special presence, is to be universalized around the earth. Uh, this is a, the abstract written about it. It says that uh, G.K. Beale explores the Old Testament land promises to Israel, examining the idea that the promises were intended to expand beyond the initial borders to encompass the whole earth. He discusses the evolution of the land promise from a specific location in Canaan to a worldwide scope, alluding to eschatological expansion of Israel's borders as part of God's predestined plan. Again, if you're premillennial or dispensational, the idea is, oh no, with the thousand years, we're all going to localize back into Israel. Uh, of course, we don't hold to that here. We would say that no, the process began with Christ. Uh, the universalization began there. It's not to be localized just in Israel, at least for a thousand years. But he goes on. He says, uh, Beale argues in this that in this age, the promises have begun to be fulfilled spiritually in Christ and will be consummated physically in the new creation proposing a two-stage installment fulfillment. We'll talk about that more later. He concludes that contemporary events in Israel do not represent the fulfillment of these Old Testament promises, but rather that in Christ and through the church, the expansion of Eden will be uh, realized universally. So you get the picture there? Uh, That's the way it originally started, and that's the way the Lord is going to continue and does continue it. Uh, So we... Again, I grew up in a dispensational world uh, and it tended to sometimes just seem more spiritualized uh, than, than physicalized. Uh, I think the Reformed faith brings a great and balanced view of we're still in a physical world. The physical world is not bad in and of itself, but it is, yes, affected by sin. Uh, but the physical world is still good. And it's good to have children uh, and to have families. You know, the Muslims get that. Uh, but so often in the Christian church, I think we've forgotten that. You know, we're just going to have one or two, and again, don't, you know, don't feel bad if you have one or two. I'm not going there. Uh, but the idea is that uh, that is not, re- that's just sort of an optional thing, whether we want to have children or not. I think right now, the big thing in the, that I read about the world is the dinks. You know, the dinks are the dual income, no kids. And they're, they're getting on TikToks and all those and saying, oh, we're loving life. You know, without kids, we're getting to travel. We're seeing the world. We're doing all this kind of stuff. And I think, that's not the creation mandate. Well, yeah, but then how am I going to travel if I have kids? Well, you might not. Why are you here? Is it so you can just indulge yourself and then you're done? And I'm recognizing, you know, sometimes in God's providence, uh, it's difficult to have one of, you know, an earthly uh, calling that we have to continue to expand the, the church and around the world, or is it one where we're checking out of the world and just kind of you know, looking for my ticket to heaven in this kind of ethereal place? Again, I want to get away from that and say that what we're looking for is, is a more earthly-minded, but with the idea of heaven, we'll see that in the end, heaven's going to come to earth. Uh, we'll see that in the next week. So how does it end? We're going to see that heaven is not an abandonment of the project. It's a fulfillment of it. Uh, so next time we're going to talk more about that. Let me give you one more quote out of Veal, I think is helpful as he describes this process. Um, I want to get right to, when he, he's going to make a comparison between Adam, who's the individual in Eden, and then Israel, which is a, the corporate people of God in Israel, and then, of course, the church will be the whole earth. You see the connection there? The individual in Eden, he's to expand. Israel was not to stay in Israel, but they were to expand the message around the world. Even so, now we in the church are called to do the same thing. Beale says this, Amazingly, this con- cosmic expansion is directly linked to Israel's end time, the resurrection, suggesting that the fulfillment of Genesis 128 commission to expand co- observed in Genesis 1, Eden Sanctuary. Uh, Isaiah 26, but is explicitly stated in Isaiah 27. In this passage, Israel is portrayed in the Eschaton as a vineyard of delight that God will protect with and which will be at peace. The vineyard will expand to cover the whole earth. In the days, it says in Isaiah 27, 6, in the days to come, Jacob will take root, Israel will blossom and sprout, and they will fill the face of the earth with fruit. And this echoes that same idea in Genesis 1:28 to be fruitful and fill the earth. Okay, that's important then for us to understand heaven because heaven again is not this detached spiritual place where you have wings and just kind of hang out and just you know sing all the time. It's going to be right here. It's going to be the world's going to have to be reconstituted, but we will be here. We will be here physically, but we'll be here without all the effects of sin. Again, so what does that look like? Well, we're going to speculate. Very little. I'm going to try to go mainly from Scripture. And we're going to talk about topics such as, I have my, my P's here, the plan, the place, the, the perfection and peace, the people, the presence, the praise, the purpose, all those things will Lord he really talk about in the week, uh, next two weeks to come as we reflect on this issue of heaven. Uh, may the Lord bless us in that work. And may you be hopefully encouraged as you now, Lord, uh, over the couple weeks as you start thinking about heaven, you have a lot more positive thought and say, I'm looking forward to be there. I can't wait to be there. And, mean, and, and like Paul, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Do you really believe that? Well, I hope at the again, end, of, end of our series, I hope you'll say, yeah, to die is gain. I'm really looking forward to that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have told us enough about heaven that to give us that want to. Uh, forgive us for at times being so earthly-minded and thinking of heaven as just something that's tacked on at the end, but not something that gives us a vision for how we're to live today. And I pray that as we go through these passages, as we consider the different topics, what it would uh, look like, what life might be like, uh, that we would be encouraged. And with that encouragement, that would give us uh, inspiration and encouragement to live today in light of that. I pray these things now in Christ's name. Amen.